It's a couple of days until the big round one game, Richmond versus Carlton, and that means a Tigercast weekly preview of the big game coming up. And we've got an opposition supporter on tonight to help us with that, uh, which I think the listeners enjoy hearing a more balanced view instead of us uh, just all going one-way skiing. As fun as that can be sometimes, it is good to have a balanced opinion. But I'll introduce our Richmond guest first. He's a regular of the show, Grokadoc. Welcome to the show, mate. Uh, thanks, Michael. It's great to be back. And for all those of you who are getting sick and tired of hearing my voice, don't blame me. Uh, blame the lounge lizard who had some technical difficulties and couldn't make it. So, yeah, just uh, just blame him, not me. I appreciate you coming on at short notice. Uh, yeah, so lizard's lost his phone or it's not working or something. Uh, he seems to be enjoying it. Um, but it kind of threw yep. me into a little bit of chaos with getting this organised, but you've been good enough to jump on board, so thank you. And ironically, the same kind of thing happened from the Carlton perspective. We were meant to have the old Dark Navies come on, but he's had some technical issues as well. But Jeremiah, who's a Carlton board mod, has been kind enough to join us. Jeremiah, welcome to the show, mate. G'day, guys. Thanks for having me. No drums at all. Thanks for coming across to the dark side. I'm sure it'll be a good bit of fun over the next half hour, 45 minutes. Um... We'll start off with, and before we get into all the JLT and the, the preview and all that kind of stuff, we'll start off with a roast and a toast because there's been a lot of stuff happening in the off-season in the AFL with the AFL making rules and introducing new things, the stupid iPads for one, um, and all these different concepts. And I think there's going to be a, a bit in this one, the roast and the toast. But Jeremiah, I've given you the toast first up. What are you going to go with? My toast is a really simple one, and I'm sorry if it doesn't conform to what you're looking for, but my toast is really simple. Footy's back. I love a lot of other sports, you know, basketball, soccer, cricket. I really enjoy the AFLW, especially with Carlton in it. But there's nothing quite like footy, and I reckon I speak on behalf of everyone in saying that, boy, it's good to have it back. It's a bit like Christmas Eve, isn't it? Yeah, fair play to that, Absolutely. I reckon. That's, that's a good call. And you can kind of tell that people are getting a bit over the weight for football to come around, especially on big footy with some of the threads in the posts. You're like, oh, oh God, it's just getting out of hand. And you kind of just let a lot more stuff go because people are just trying to pass the time by. But, yeah, round one, very close. I think that's a very, very fair and reasonable toast. There you go. And, Grok, I've given you the roast. If you've got plenty to work with, to be honest. So uh, what have you narrowed it down to? Uh, I've narrowed it down to uh, the whole topic of mental health. Um, obviously, we saw uh, Dusty come out, um, you know, a few days ago and say that he really struggled in uh, 2018 with mental health, um, anxiety and depression. Obviously, there were a few factors with, with Dusty, um, you know, uh, suffering from it, um, you know, not being able to achieve the lofty heights he set for uh, himself in two th- from 2017, obviously the weight of expectation for him to follow that up, that was always going to be something that he struggled with. And obviously the situation around with his dad. But my roast um, this week is for all those uh, footballing pundits and supporters who are uh, claiming all these players uh, playing the mental health card to avoid uh, getting drug tested. Well, I do think that is certainly a possibility for some players to be doing that. I don't think it's necessarily fair on the players who genuinely do have mental health concerns because it's just making their issues uh, feel less validated and, and, you know, it's not worth them opening up and talking about it because they're just going to get ridiculed or 
they're just going to get ridiculed or they're just going to have people questioning whether it's genuine or not. And for as a fellow as a fellow sufferer of uh, mental health issues, I think that the more we can highlight players actually coming out and speaking up about what they're feeling and how they're going about things, um, you know, how they're feeling uh, mentally and physically and stuff, I think that that's that's something that really needs to happen, especially in football. Obviously, we there is a code of conduct. Well, you know, a unwritten code that you don't talk about these sort of things and that's just with society and males in general but for me it's something that we really need to really need to open up about and the AFL have been aware of uh, mental health issues for the best part of three decades now obviously you've had some high profile cases in the past and for them to only now just consider bringing in mental you know mental health experts in the actual AFL you know administration I think that that's something that should have happened you know 10 years ago at least. So that's that's my roast. Yeah, that's fair enough as well. I think that a lot of the onus needs to go on to the very small handful of players that might be doing this to avoid testing. That That's not a good enough thing to do either because it's a very real issue for a lot of people and it's something they shouldn't be hiding behind. If they do have a drug issue or they have been caught, they're better off putting their hand up and going to get help for it instead of masking it with something else. Um, yeah, and taking away from yeah the people who are actually suffering from it. So, yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting one because I think I suppose Jesse Hogan was the most recent one the other day. Um, yes, I think Fremantle officially said he was out because of mental health issues and dealing with anxiety, and then it comes out in the news that he was drunk somewhere and got into something or rather at a pub. Um, and whether it was true or yep. not, it's yeah. Then you start getting all these people, conspiracy theorists, you know, trying to yep. make it something oh. that's probably not. Sit. Yeah, the thing with the the Jesse Hogan one was interesting that Peter Bell came out, an official from from the Dockers, and actually said that Jesse Hogan was battling you know alcohol issues because of his men, his mental health, you know, his clinical anxiety. So it sort of it sort of makes it sort of makes you think: Does he have you know the anxiety because he got drunk and all these things happened, and now he's not playing, or is it the other way? You know, is he drinking because he does have these problems? So it's one of those ones where it's sort of a toss of the coin as to which way you can interpret it, uh, what the statement was. Yeah, very true. Uh, I'm sure it's an issue that's going to keep popping up as the year goes on, unfortunately. But on one hand, it's unfortunate. But on the other hand, I think more awareness needs to be raised about it and people need to feel comfortable in all walks of life to be able to talk about it and put their hand up if they do have an issue. So um, for anyone out there listening, if you are feeling a bit, out of the ordinary, make sure you do reach out to the right people and seek help. Don't just sit there and bottle it up. Absolutely. Uh, do you have Do you have a roast or anything uh, this week, Michaels? Uh, well, I-, I thought about adding it in. Um, I'll conscious of time, but the AFL again are probably going to cop a whack from me. The- this 50 meter penalty rule that they've tweaked so geniusly. Uh, they, they struggled to get the initial 50-meter penalty right. I mean, we, we all saw, three of us saw in round one last year, the amount of ridiculous 50-meter penalties paid for that encroachment bullshit penalty they wanted to do. Yep. But now there's going to be, I'll call it now, there'll be at least six to 800-meter penalties paid over the course of round one, and we'll probably have at least four of them in our game on Thursday night. <coughs> I, I just don't understand their logic in it. So they want... So you're not allowed to follow the guy with the ball if you're the opposition. You can't slow him down. And they want someone else 150 metres down the field to come forward and find the mark before the umpires got there to man it. I just don't understand how it's meant to work. I I just think the players 
um, who are meant to be defending are at a complete loss, and the guy with the ball yeah. is pretty much going to have free reign just to sprint off wherever he wants, because otherwise yeah, they're going to get pinged for it. Yeah, I mean, we saw Jack Revolt against Frawley. You know, Jack was, you know, six or seven metres ahead of Frawley running, you know, for the 50-metre penalty and then and then slowed down. So Frawley ran into the protected zone and got another 50-metre penalty for it. So it's going to be one of those uh, those rules that players are going to exploit and the AFL really need to tweak on how they interpret it. Did you have any... Do we know? Uh, yeah, we did have a couple and I think there were a couple as well in the AFLW. So no one really understands it. Do we do we know why it was actually introduced? Has uh, it was a... in, yeah. It was introduced because um, players running alongside a, a player who received a fifty meter penalty, they were running alongside, so they couldn't actually play on and and get teams caught out of position on the defensive thing. So um, they were saying there's a two meter zone now, so a player can actually swerve off his line to get the ball in quicker. It's just part of the AFL wanting to speed the game up again which it doesn't need to. I, I just think what, you're gaining, what, maybe one second of speed up every 50 yeah. meter penalty. So is that, you know, maximum five-second increase or, or speed up across the course of a game worth all this confusion? I, I wouldn't have thought so. I think it's a ridiculous rule that's been yeah, brought in just for the sake of bringing in a rule. Agree. And yet again, yep. they've brought in a rule that has no clear-cut guidelines. It's a complete grey area and based purely on some, one person's interpretation, which is going to be different to another's. And that's the the biggest issue with the umpiring at the moment. Like, I respect what the umpires do. It's a hard job, no doubt. But the AFL haven't really helped them out at all in any way by not giving or not creating clear-cut rules there's just so many room room for error with interpretations and all that kind of stuff and they've just thrown another one in the mix yeah that's the thing there's 30, 30 you know 30 odd umpires the umpire games so you're going to have 30 different imp- interpretations of the rules they need to cut that down there needs Absolutely. to be you know a clear-cut case of this is what this is what we'll be paying for this rule this is what we're not paying you know really cut it down make it black and white for the umpires so they're not confused and the fans aren't confused and outraged about calls or non-calls how are the players down the field meant to know where the 50 meter the mark is that's the thing because the the they're going to they're going to guess like guesstimate stand somewhere where they think it's going to be and the umpire's going to say you're too far forward, 50 metres. Like, it's just That's got right. disaster yeah. written all over it. Like, I know we're yeah. going to be barracking hard against each other on Thursday night, Drew Mice, but I can promise you at the end of the game, we're all going to unite as one and discuss how poorly officiated this 50-metre penalty rule was. Like, it's nothing sure. Absolutely agree. It's a farce. All right, we'll move on to some of the real footy stuff because I could crap on and race the AFL all night if you gave me half a chance. Uh, the JLT series is finished up now, so everyone played their two games. Richmond defeated Melbourne by 12 points in the first game and Hawthorne by 8 points in the second game. Grok, what did you take away from our JLT series? Uh, I thought we sort of went about par for the course. Obviously, it was it was about trialling a lot of the younger players who, you know, see how they fit in the current structure, whether they're, they're right to play, you know, senior games. Obviously, we saw uh, Noah Bolter, Jack Ross, Riley Collier-Dawkins, um, they were, and um, Van Soldo, you know, play a fair, a fair amount of games, some of the ones, and nanked down forward so we could sort of see who would be our, our uh, number two sort of pinch hit relief ruckman. But I thought the first game we sort of tried to make it a lot more contested and a close game to sort of grind it out 
against sides who'll be there about uh, uh, there about with us and sort of change, you know, see how we can actually you know win a close game when it's on the line. And then the second game was sort of weird because it, we got absolutely smashed by the Hawks in the, in the first half, and it was just. We weren't clean. We were fumbling a lot, and then we sort of overrun it. So it's almost like we we tried to reel back a lead in that second game, see how far from see how far behind we could get, before, and sort of try and reel the game in. But yeah, yeah, I thought it was yeah, it was a really weird sort of two games. So it was sort of polar opposites of each other because the Melbourne game, both teams looked really clean and crisp, and you know, really getting into it. And that second game was just sloppy and and just really mistake-ridden. So, yeah, I thought it was one of those... I thought it was one, um, just a, a tale of two games, really, where we just tried a, a few different tactics, and it was just part of the course. And we had, well, we had a few young players play a couple of games. Who do you think is most likely to get some serious AFL game time this year from our youngsters? Uh, for me, and I've told you about this bloke uh, every time I've been on, but Jack Ross, for me. Um, he's just one of these players who gets in and gets the job done. Um, he's really hard at it, uh, attacks the man and the ball. He's, he's pretty much um, a Jack Graham clone, but he actually gets more of the ball. Um, I, I feel that he's going to be the one who really steps up this year and will probably play on Thursday night. Um, and then Noah Bolter, obviously, he's the one who really set things alight in JLT1, and it's, it really comes down to whether Tom Lynch plays on Thursday, and if he doesn't, Bolter will get the gig. But yeah. um, it just came out recently that uh, Mav Weller is in line to play on Thursday night, so okay. obviously Weller will be in the best 22. Obviously, that's that's probably going to be for Josh Caddy because they are similar sort of type of players, the medium marking forwards who can go through the midfield. Um, so, yeah, you've got Waller, you've got Jack Ross, who will be, in my opinion, will definitely be in the 22 on Thursday. And then you've got the the outliers, sort, sort of Bolter, or you've got Liam Baker maybe come in. I thought he, he played all right in patches. So, yeah, those are Jack Ross and Noah Bolter for me were the two youngsters that really impressed me. Yeah, I reckon they'll get a game as well this week. And Jeremiah, the Blues, you knocked off Essendon by nine points and went down to Collingwood by four points. I thought you had their measure for a lot of the game, to be honest. Um, what did you make of your JLT series and what did you take away from it? Uh, let me preface this by saying that as a Carlton fan who's lived through the early to mid-2000s, I know all too well not to take the JLT results too seriously. Um, you know, we won a couple of Wizard Cups there in the mid-2000s, followed up by Wooden Spoons. Um most interesting for me was the transition in the midfield. Um, we've been very heavily reliant on our older guys in, in, in previous years, um, Ed Kerno, Mark Murphy in particular, but really interesting that neither of them spent any time really in the centre. Um, you know, Ed was playing up forward um, as sort of that defensive forward, which was really interesting, and Mark Murphy spent a lot of time out on the wing and, and recently came out and said, you know, he's looking probably to spend a bit of time at half back. Um so it's really looking to fast-track that midfield development. Um, I thought defensively we were really quite strong in, in both games. Um, that was a real cornerstone of our play in 2017 before obviously everything sort of went pear-shaped for us in 2018. Um, and that happened for a number of reason, reasons, which we obviously don't have to get into right now. Um, but really what I take out of it is it's just really good to see the boys out on the park, you know, the new players coming into the team. Um, Newman, I thought, settled in pretty well down back. 
Uh, older players, Daisy looks in really good form. Liam Jones as well. And also those youngsters looking to take the next step. We've been really strong as a club on those third and fourth year players now needing to sort of step up and take, you know, take the opportunity given to them um, and take their games to the next level. And a couple of them look like doing so, which is fantastic for the club. Honest question. If you can give whatever honest answer it is, I don't mind. Is Liam Jones a better defender than Alex Rance? There's a lot of argy-bargy that goes on on various social media platforms. Um, from a Carlton standpoint, what do you think of the two? He's definitely not in the league of Liam Jones. Uh, oh, sorry, of Alex Rance. Um, sort of comparing apples and oranges there. I will say that the turnaround in his game, in his career, has been unbelievable. 100%. Uh, he, he was done and dusted he, he, until he moved back. Oh, completely cooked. He lost his way a bit last year, and I think that had a fair bit to do with losing the general back there, which is obviously Sam Doherty, but I think he's a year down the track uh, better prepared um, to deal with that absence, as as I think we all are as a side. So from what I've seen of him in the preseason, and obviously it's only preseason, so you've got to be wary about those expectations carrying through, but he looked back to his 2017 best, which was sensational, um, so it will be really interesting to see how he goes. On Rance, look, uh, I've long said I think he's exceptionally overrated. I don't think he's in the conversation with the best fullbacks to ever play the game. Having said that, he's clearly the best fullback in the league at the moment, and he's a terrific player. Um, it will be interesting to see how he adapts to the six six six, um, which I think sort of lends itself to not running off your man or not zoning off as much as previously, which is obviously a real strength of his. Um, whereas, you know, the Grimes and Asprey have been given those more heavy responsibility of, of the one-on-one play with Alex zoning and running off. Um, it will be interesting to see how the defensive unit sort of adjusts to that. I think it's a fair call. If I was an opposition coach, I would try and make sure that Rance was on the guy starting in the goal square as mm-hmm. isolated as possible. Because if you can get that kick the 20 or 30 metres out. Yeah, he can be a little bit suspect one-on-one sometimes. You are right, he does like to zone off, so it will be interesting to see how he adapts. Um, and Sam Walsh, obviously number one draft pick. He got his hand on the ball a bit in in the games. Um, you got high hopes for him? Very high hopes. Um, I actually I posted on, on the forums earlier in the preseason before our first game against Hawthorne, which was a practice match only, that I thought the sort of the narrative about him had gone a bit over the top, that he was the best number one pick in, in God knows how long, that he was, you know, ready to come in and play straight away and, and just looked terrific. Um, and then I went to the Hawthorne game and actually saw him live. And I was actually taken aback. Um, he is actually unbelievable. He's an incredibly professional kid. He just gets to so many contests. He's not the quickest player. He's not the most skilled player, but his will and drive to get to contest after contest is exemplary. And it actually reminds me of a footballer that you guys know all too well, your current captain, who is also not the quickest. He's not the most skilled, but he's a terrifically smart footballer. He's a brave and tough footballer. And his will to get to contests is just phenomenal. Yeah, the one thing that really stands out for me about um, Walsh is his composure. Mm-hmm. He's just, especially in traffic, it's just 
he takes the right option every time, no matter, you know, how much pressure's, pressure's around him, whether he's being tackled or, you know, he's in space. He's just constantly clean with his skills, takes the right option and takes the first option, which is one of those things where a lot of players these days won't necessarily take the, take the first option. They'll wait for the tackle and then, you know, try and, try and spin out of it and get a handball to a running player on the outside, but... Sam Walsh, his composure, he already looks like a 200 gamer. I know that's a bit of a cliche, but he just looks like he belongs at the level already. Just He looks like he's been doing it for so long. I think he's going to be an absolute jet. Yeah, they definitely found one there. You couldn't go wrong with whoever you took but, at number one yeah. last year, virtually. But, so. Yeah, there's another, there's another Colton player that I, I want to raise who I thought has been absolutely incredible in the JLT series, and that's uh, Will Setterfield, obviously, Highly rated. What did you make of his JLT, um, Jeremiah? Uh, he, he just looks like a footballer, doesn't he? Um, yeah. He's got a really big body, obviously. He's a bit rusty, but obviously um, after a bit of time out because of injuries, that's probably to be expected and that's fine. Uh, he looks he looks terrific and, you know, he can find plenty of the ball. He can drift forward and, um, you know, have an impact on the contest. And I think that's exactly what we need to support Patrick Cripps. We need that bigger body type who can allow Crips to sort of uh, not so much rest, but sort of take his game to another level by moving forward and becoming impactful on the scoreboard. Uh, we saw that a little bit last year, but um, injuries combined with um, inaccuracy, you know, probably meant we didn't see the best of Patrick Cripps up forward at least. Obviously, we know how good he is in the midfield, but if we can get Set a field in the midfield and, and crips up forward a little bit more, like you have done previously with Dustin Martin, it just yep. tends to elevate their game to a whole nother level. So I think it will be a terrific get for us. Um, you know, it'll take him a little while to get up to the speed of things, again, coming off that injury. Um, but he's more advanced than where I thought he would be already, and I think he'll be um, a terrific footballer for us. Yep. No, I, I watched the yeah. I think your first JLT, and I thought Setterfield was quite good. So definitely another one uh, the Blues fans to, to keep an eye on during the year. All right, we'll take a close look now at the big game on Thursday night, Richmond versus Carlton. Uh, before we get into it, just a quick shout out that it's Jack Rewalt and Mark Murphy's 250th games respectively, and Alex Rantis 200th. So some fantastic milestones there for all three of those players who have been great servants of, of our clubs. Uh, Grok, I'll start with you, mate. What are your thoughts on the game? The footy's back. It's round one. You must be fired up. Yeah, I'm fired up. Um, I've got my tickets uh, for the game, so I'll be heading, heading along to that. Um, probably watch the, the VFL practice match beforehand at Punt Road. But, yeah, it's just this time of year is always exciting. You know, you've got that sort of anxious energy. It's like at the start of the year, the first game, it's, it's almost a combination of six months of preparation and hard work on, you know, studying, you know, all these new players and seeing how we've adapted and grown from from the previous year. And I, I really think this is a little bit of a danger game given what um, Colton showed in the JLT. Obviously, they're, they're playing a lot more contested. They're, they're a lot more open as well. They're starting to take a lot more risks than they used to. They used to play a little bit safe under Brendan Bolton because they didn't want to get heavily scored against, but they're really starting to back themselves in and and pull the trigger and go. And I think 
um, with the new 666 rule, uh, especially out of the, the midfield at the start, you know, of centre bounces, I think that could be a real danger for us. We saw um, our backline get a little bit exposed against Hawthorne and um, Melbourne at stages uh, because of, you know, fast centre breaks and with, you know, Patrick Cripps and everything going through their midfield. I think that could be a real danger for us. So it's something that we really need to to look at and make sure that we're actually setting our structures up right to deal with the long, long kick-in. But, yeah, for me, I, I still think we will win. Um, obviously, people expecting 60, 70-point margins, I don't think that's really feasible because we don't really see those sort of margins come out in the first round of the season anyway. Um, but, yeah, I, th- I, I really am expecting a pretty cracking contest, to be honest. Yeah, I'm with you. I think it's a danger game as well, and people don't like me saying that, and that's fine. Um, but we saw what happened last year. Carlton jumped us in the first well, two and a half, three quarters, really, and they just ran out of ran out of steam, effectively. Uh, granted, yeah. we kicked a little bit inaccurately as well, but they kept themselves in the game, and I, I can't see why that would change, to be honest. Uh, Jeremiah, what about you, mate? Your thoughts on the game? Big round one? Uh, it's a huge game. Um, there's always a lot of commentary leading up, isn't there, about whether or not it should be the first game. But when it all is said and done, come Thursday evening, everyone's bloody excited, and so we should be. Um, obviously, I reckon all the pressure is on Richmond, to be honest. Um, you know, a heavy favourites, and rightly so, and expected to win, and, and, and win reasonably comfortably, I would have thought. Um, but it will be very interesting to see sort of whether Carlton can, can hang in there with you. And the longer we can, I think the longer we'll give ourselves a little bit of belief. Um, there, there's some interesting players and, and, and matchups that I'm looking forward to. Um, I really am crossing everything that Tom Lynch doesn't play because the game against Gold Coast early on in last season is sort of etched into my memory forever where I think he kicked eight. I was actually just... there for that, ironically. I don't know. We were just there with it. We took an American friend out to a game. We watched the second half, and Lynch was just unstoppable. So, yeah, we obviously hope he does play, because that would be a great matchup <laughs> for us. And I'm also hope, uh, very thankful, not hopeful, because I know he's not playing, very thankful that Josh Caddy isn't playing, because he's also another similar type. Obviously not to, um, to Lynch, but a similar sort of forward target that often does sort of get under our skin and, and, and impact the scoreboard quite heavily. So I'm thankful that one and possibly two of them aren't playing, um, which will, I think, give us a better chance. I am expecting Richmond to win. I've, I've sort of got them winning by uh, three to four goals. But the beauty of football is you never quite know what's going to happen. And if a team is even 2% off their game, then the other team on any given night, has a chance. Um, big stage, so it'll be really really interesting to see who sort of steps up. Um, I think your small forwards um, have caused us issues in the past. About I know turn the tables on that. For so many years, Eddie Betts <laughs> oh, yeah. and Garland and were just <laughs> absolute blinders, Yaron, and even though he dudded us with zero games, just always had blinders against us, so I'm glad we've been able to turn the tables on that one. <laughs> And I know uh, Castagna isn't playing. Oh, I believe he's not playing because of no, injury. Yeah, so. uh, yeah, he's out. Yeah. But Higgins and 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 Butler, um, yeah, it's it's sort of enough to keep me up the night before I reckon because uh, 
if one of them gets off the hook, we, we just don't have that small defensively minded defender to, to sort of try and nullify their impact. Um, so so that will be interesting to watch. Obviously, no cruiser for us, which is a huge out. That's massive. Well, I'm, I'm, I think I, I posted I'm, on your board. I reckon he makes you a two to three better, goal better side. He, he does. He does. He's criminally underrated, I think. Um, but we just haven't seen him at his best enough, unfortunately, because of all his injuries. Um, so Nankervis versus Phillips is obviously going to be a, a big matchup. It's a massive task for Andrew Phillips. Straight up, who's had a reasonable preseason. He's got the two JLT games, or three actually, behind him, um, and and looked reasonable in, in some of them, and then not so good in another. Um, so that's obviously a, a big challenge for him. We've got to see where he steps up. Um, obviously, Rance is a is a huge one. It will annoy me no end if we simply bomb it forward onto his head because that's playing into our hands. I hope that we learn our lesson and actually play McGovern on him and use McGovern as a bit of a decoy and just draw Rance away from the football as much as possible. You know, we've still got Charlie and we've still got Harry Mackay who are really good contested marks. And if we can just get Rance out of that area and not kick it directly down his, uh, down his throat then that will help us enormously. So on those and the other three one, players, oh, sorry, I'll, I'll just get Grok's thoughts quickly. So on those three players that Jeremiah just mentioned, so you've got Mackay, Kerno, and McGovern, how would you like to see us match up on them? If we, in an ideal world, if we were to try and nullify their influence, what do we need to try and do? Uh, for me, I would. I think Kerno's probably the least athletic of the three. He's not the the quickest in that straight line speed, whereas Mackay and McGovern do have genuine explosive off the mark speed. So for me, I'd probably set uh, probably Asprey on um, Kerno. I think strength wise, that's probably the best matchup. Um, I'd I'd have Rance on probably Mackay given he's, he's taller than what McGovern is, and then I'd play Grimes on, on McGovern. His, uh, Grimes is, is reasonably athletic himself, and he does have a, reason, a, a decent you know, vertical leap, so he'd be able to get up there. So I'd probably have those two matchups as well, because I can't... With the other two, I think McGovern will be the, the third tall in that setup. Um, so, yeah, I'd probably have Grimes on McGovern. I'd have Rance on Mackay, and I'd have Asprey on Kerno. But so, Jeremiah, so you reckon that you guys might try and pull a bit of a what Port Adelaide did to us and have McGovern tag Rance, effectively? Look, I, I hope so, um, because obviously we know how good Alex is, um, especially if you play in, sort of into his hands. And I think just bombing it into him, into his area, is playing exactly his game. It's doing exactly what he wants. So I think drawing him away from the football as much as possible, will really be quite beneficial. Whether or not McGovern's up to the task, I don't know. He is very unfit at the moment. He obviously broke his back through the preseason. Um, he has played all JLT games or, or portions thereof, um, but he does look very short of a gallop at the moment. I'm expecting him to play, um, so it'll be really interesting to see what we do with him. Um, but, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd sort of try and match McGovern up on him and, and sort of get Harry and, and 
Charlie away from him as much as possible to see if they can do a bit of damage on their own. Yeah, obviously the other one that Carlton need to consider when bombing long is Nick Floston, who is another one of those intercept marking defenders who, who likes to break off and float in front of the pack and, and take those intercept marks. And it's one of those things um, that, you know, Carlton really need to be careful, especially if they do manage to get the ball out of the middle with a quick, quick break, just lower the eyes and hit up a leading target because with that quick setup, obviously uh, we do like to, you know, go third man up and, and support. So if Carlton can actually get a bit of a break, uh, through the centre with a with a quick clearance, they, they're going to find space from their players because we don't really like to go man on man. We prefer to just stay off a little bit and come from behind or from the side to affect the, the affect the contest. But yeah, I think that's something that uh, that he's another one that Carlton do need to be mindful of. And also speaking of Nick Floston, like to congratulate him for signing another two year deal with us, taking him to the end of twenty twenty one. Um, he was him and Rioli, who also extended until 2021, were the two who I felt we really do did need to uh, re-sign. Obviously, there was a lot of talk about us losing a lot of depth and players um, with uh, getting Tom Lynch in, but those two, in my opinion, and Asprey are the three that we really do need to re-sign because they are so integral to our structure going forward. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and Grok, I want to ask you about our inaccuracy in front of goal. It's been a massive issue for us in years gone by. And with this new 6-6-6 rule, there are going to be times in games where each team's going to dominate centre clearances for a short period. But if we don't capitalise and actually put the scoreboard pressure on it, it's going to backfire. We have this really bad habit of keeping teams in the game. Um, do you think... I mean, have we addressed it? Have you seen enough evidence in the JLT that we've addressed it? And are we going to be in a lot of trouble, a lot more trouble, if our inaccuracy continues? Uh, I think we will be. Um, obviously, kicking for goal is something that we still struggle with. We have a few culprits that, you know, uh, do, do the same thing week in, week out. Obviously, Butler, Castagna are the main two. Um, Caddy can be hit or miss. Higgins can be hit or miss. Obviously, Higgins' set shots aren't the greatest. Um and then, obviously, Jack is known to miss the occasional one as well. But the the biggest thing that really concerned me with, you know, our goal kicking through the JLT is our unselfishness. And I know sometimes that can lead to goals, but other times we, we take the riskier option by playing on. We saw Butler a couple of times against Hawthorne Market, you know, 15 out on a slight angle and try to play on and end up getting tackled and have his shot hit the post instead of, you know, going back and just kicking a drop punt. It's it's one of those things where we make things a lot harder on ourselves than we need to. You know, we, we do try and get the ball over the top, a loose player in the goal square, and sometimes that is the right option. But there, there also just seems to be a lack of game sense in that, you know, players will be getting shut down a lot quicker, you know, these days because the game is getting, you know, quicker and quicker. So teams are starting to draft, you know, the quicker and quicker players. Um, so I, I do think that we do need to sort of back ourselves in from set shots a lot more than we are doing right now. Uh, we did see a lot of players, you know, try and play on and, and make things harder on themselves and they have players coming in from the side to sort of spoil or tackle and then they have to rush their shot. We saw Hawthorne do the same thing. Isaac Smith, when he marked that ball in the at the top of the square and run, ran around, didn't miss by five metres. So, yeah, I really do think our inaccuracy is something 
that is going to cost us games at some point this year. So we really need to nut into our heads that we'll take the percentage option. If the handball over the top isn't there or, you know, you're directly in front with, in a slight angle, you know, 15, 20 metres out, just take the drop punt. Don't try anything fancy. Just play the percentages. So, yeah, I think I think we do have a lot to work on with it with our goal kicking, and it, it is really worrying at times. Yeah, it is. It most definitely is. It worries me a hell of a lot. Uh, and Jeremiah, obviously last year the Blues didn't have the best of seasons. Um, how important is it for the Blues to make a statement in round one? And, and that may not necessarily mean a win as such, um, whether that means a competitive effort or getting within X amount of goals. What do you think needs to happen result-wise, to show your supporters that the club's moving in the right direction? I think more than anything, it's about effort. You know, I think the narrative being pushed by the media in some circles that we're growing impatient and we need results now, I I just don't see that as being accurate. I don't think that's a reality. Um, I think that's just trying to put pressure on the club uh, where there sort of isn't any in that regard. Obviously, we want to win more games, but first and foremost, we just want to see the effort back in the, in, in the game style. We completely lost our way in 2018 after a really solid 2017 um, in terms of game play, in terms of defensive setup. I thought we were excellent, and we actually became renowned as a a team that was pretty difficult to score against and pretty difficult to play against. You know, it might not have resulted in that many wins, but we knew that we were going to make teams earn it. Whereas that was completely blown out of out of, out of the window in, um, in in 2018. So I think getting back to that defensive effort, defensive layers, and 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 sort of building on the gameplay from defence. Um, is what we want to see. We want to see more effort. We want to see us in games for longer. Um, I think fitness has a, a bit to do with that as well, and, and, and that is an area which I think we've improved significantly um, from last year to this. It's, it, it's just about effort and getting that percentage out because last year for, for significant periods we were simply uncompetitive, and, and that's not good enough. And, and there are reasons as to why, but it all boils down to it's just not good enough. Um so, so just seeing that effort, being difficult to play against, and being in games, or being in more games for longer than than we were last year, I think is a great starting point. And get the getting the basics right, because I'm a very firm believer that if you get the basics right, if you get the processes right, the results will follow. But you got to get that base right. And we looked like we were doing it, as I said, in 2017, 2018, we lost our way. I'd like to think that was a bit of a blip on the radar rather than a downward trend. Um, and, and I think there are reasons for that, but all will be revealed. I think that's pretty fair and reasonable. Um, I, like most people, I don't I don't mind if we lose, but it's if you can visibly see the players don't give a shit and aren't putting in effort, that's when it's not okay, which is what you're alluding to. So I, love, I think you'll see a great effort from the Blues all year round. Uh, just hopefully, maybe not so much on Thursday night. <laughs> uh, both teams are going to have some new players, no doubt, showing their faces in round one. Grok, uh, you touched on Mav Weller is potentially going to be playing, and you think Jack Ross is going to be playing as well. The big one that everyone really still doesn't know about, bar probably Hardwick, Barm, and Lynch himself, is is Tom Lynch going to play? Now, he come out and said, or Hardwick come out and said, that if Lynch tells him he's right to play, he's going to play him. And then Lynch, I think today or yesterday, said, yep, I'm right to go. Are we taking them at their word? Or do you think that 
if he was going to play, they would have just locked it in and just said, yep, he's playing, or is it dragged on long enough that he's going to sit out? I think it's dragged on long enough that there's doubt on whether he will actually play. I mean, it came out last week, I think it was at the season launch, where um, someone mentioned that Lynch said that he's definitely playing a game of football this week, whether it be... Uh, in the AFL or whether it be in the VFL practice match against the Northern Blues at Punt Road. So I think if that is the case, I think you'd much rather play him in the VFL, uh, in the AFL rather than the VFL practice game. Yeah, but I do think there is that little bit of doubt, given that he hasn't played a game of competitive football since July. There's still that doubt on, you know, how's his match fitness coming up. Obviously, with the knee surgery, he didn't start you know, running until, you know, mid to late January. So there's still that question mark on whether he's going to be able to run out a full game of football. So for me, I do think he, I mean, obviously Lynch did come out yesterday and said that I said to Dimmer to play him that he wants to play, but I still think there is that element of doubt whether he will actually line up uh, in round one. I mean, I would like to see him and I think that probably will happen, but there's, I, I do, I could see us, taking that cautious approach with Lynch, obviously is a really big investment in terms of, you know, length of contract and the money offered. So we don't really want to jeopardise that uh, given his history with the PCL injuries. Um, he's just, it's just too much riding on Tom Lynch this season, um, as I said, in regards to what we gave up for him. So I do think that the club will err on the side of caution if they don't feel he's 100% right. So I think it's just going to come down to, you know, 6.25 tomorrow, whether he plays or not. And it, it comes down to Lynch or Bolter. Um, they, they confirmed that it will be Lynch or Bolter that gets named. So, yeah, it's just a wait and see. But I do expect Lynch to play. And uh, a, a one-word answer, will Brandon Ellis play on Thursday night in the AFL? No. Okay. Yeah, I tend to agree. Uh, and Jeremiah, so Carlton have obviously got some new faces as well. You mentioned McGovern and um, Setterfield as well, obviously going to get some good game time. Who else are we going to have to keep an eye out for? In terms of newer players, I think there's up to six new faces in the side. Um, and I'm really itching to see sort of which way we go at team selection. Uh, McGovern, Setterfield, Nick Newman, I think will all definitely play. Um, Newman's been terrific down back already um, and, and sort of fits really well into that Doherty role. Um, Sam Walsh, we know, we've touched on. The other two to watch out for, one was a free agent and one is actually a rookie, um, Alex Fasolo coming across from Collingwood. Didn't feature in any JLT game um, on the comeback trail from an injury sustained from a little uh, bit of shenanigans. Um, apparently was quite reasonable at VFL practice level last week. I think he's a very good chance of featuring at senior level in round one. And the other one is a great story, and that's Michael Gibbons. Um, you know, we, we, we've all seen him dominate VFL level over the past three or four years, given a wonderful opportunity to take his game to that next level, um, has really taken that on board and, and, and dominated through the preseason at times, um, at, on the training track in particular, looked pretty good and dangerous at times through the JLT, but also a fair way off it at other times. So there's a little bit of inconsistency there. But he's right in the mix for senior selection um, come Thursday night. And wouldn't that be a story and a half? 
Yeah, I mean... Uh... Speaking of for Solo, Jake Nile released an article uh, earlier this evening and he confirmed that uh, for Solo will play uh, Thursday night. Um, so that, that's, that's a great story there. Yeah, AFL. Fantastic. Um, and as you said, Michael Gibbons, he's, he's just fantastic. He's another, one, he's another Kane Lambert. He's not the quickest or the most talented bloke, but he just wills himself into the contest. He runs all day, gut runs. He really puts his body on the line. And it's just a reward for, for effort and perseverance. Obviously, it would have been um, easy for him to say, you know, I've missed out on five or six drafts now. There's, there's really no point me chasing the AFL dream. I'll just say, you know, I'll just settle for being a VFL footballer. But he didn't. He kept putting himself out there, kept busting his his ass and working it off, and and now he get, he gets a you know he gets a chance on a senior AFL list. So yeah, he's going to be. In, I I actually rate Gibbons, and he played a little bit of a different role uh, at AFL level than he did at VFL. Obviously, at VFL he was more of an inside you know hybrid midfielder working inside outside, but. At, at AFL level, he was actually playing as a high half forward going through the midfield and was hitting the scoreboard. I think he kicked three goals in one of the games. I think it was three goals in JLT1. Yeah, um, so, yeah. Right. yeah, so it's one of those things where he, he's shown he can play a, a multitude of positions and versatility is important at AFL level now. So I, I do expect Gibbons to be another successful you know, VFL rookie pick. Yeah, it's definitely I, I really a good story. That. I really hope so. I, I love those underdog stories of, of guys who, um, you know, were told they're not quite good enough for that many years, but persevered and persevered yeah. and, and kept and, going yeah. at it. And um, it's great to see him get an opportunity, obviously, and at Carlton, yeah. but it would be great anywhere. Um, and I, I also echo those statements. I, I really yeah, hope he doesn't yeah. get and it's not so much what he brings on on the field as well. Obviously, we know Carlton have a have a very inexperienced young list, um, particularly particularly with their bottom at, bottom you know end of of players. And to have someone like Gibbons on the list who's busted his ass off for six years, you know, and not gone through the conventional route of getting drafted from you know under 18s, it, it's just it it helps with the culture around the club. Obviously, he's he's going to be an example of you know, to the younger players on this is how hard you have to work if you really do want to make it. Obviously, he's going to be a prime example to them of, you know, it's not all going to be sunshine and rainbows as an AFL footballer. You need to take the good with the bad and, you know, just keep putting yourself, you know, forward, just keep going, keep pushing through. And if you work hard enough and you want it enough, you will, you will, you know, succeed. All right, well, uh, we've almost run out of time, but we do have a question that's come through from a listener uh, on Twitter from Tigers42020. He's actually given us a question each. Uh, so, Jeremiah, for you, how far up the ladder do you think Carlton can, can go this season? I actually posted about this tonight on the Carlton board. I, I've got us at the moment sitting in 16th, um, but given how even the competition is, um, I, not a lot has to go right or wrong for teams to move up or down pretty dramatically. Uh, we saw that last year with Carlton. You know, we had a stack of injuries. We lost our way and we sort of plummeted a long way down. Um, it can happen to clubs. Um, and it's just uh, particularly around injuries where, where you just can't control that sort of thing. And, and if you, if it sort of gets a bit out of, out of control, you can stumble pretty badly. So, at the moment, I've got our 16th, but I think there's a very valid argument that we could finish above 
you know, as many as five or six. But at the moment, I'd still back us in for the bottom four for this year. Um, 16th, as I said. But 2020, I think, is the year that we can rise pretty rapidly. Fair enough. Um, and Grokodok, I'll give you the question he posed for me because the one he was going to give to you was about Lynch, and you've already covered that anyway. So um, yep. who gets the wing spot that isn't McIntosh's? So Bolter or Brandon Ellis, and why? Uh, for me, I'd give it to Noah Bolter. Um, I think we've we've hit that point with Brandon Ellis now where he's 25 26 and we know he's we know what he's going to give us at AFL level obviously his composure and um, things aren't quite up to standard particularly if he is going to float back like wingmen do need to do they need to be able to you know float back or go forward depending on which side has the ball and I think that Brendan Ellis is a liability with the ball especially when pressure is applied to him um, and I just, I just think we sort of hit the wall with Brendan Ellis, where he's a known quantity. We know he's sometimes he's going to be good enough, sometimes he isn't. And I do think that Bolter, in my opinion, um, has more tricks to his bow than what Brendan Ellis does. Obviously, with his height and his athleticism, he's, he's great in the air. He's got a booming kick, so he can play a variety of positions, not just, not just on the wing. So I do think we're better off playing uh, Bolter over Ellis. Yeah, agree. And that's why I put it to you because I knew your answer was going to be the same as mine. So fully agree with that. All right, before, before um, I let you both go, we'll get yep. a tip, including margin Oop. from you both. Oh, yeah. sorry, yes, I'm There's just yeah, just some uh, news coming out of the AFL that, I, that I'd like to bring up and get your thoughts on is the AFL introduced a new concept uh, for round one um, as a revamp of the score review process, and they're calling it AFL Edge. Um, which is basically Snicko for AFL, so it's going to be able, going to be used uh, with microphones installed into the goalposts to determine whether a ball has, has touched the the goalpost or not. So I was just wondering on your guys' thoughts on that, whether it's you know about time they finally did something, or whether it's just going to be another one that they're bringing in for the sake of you know trying to actually be seen as fixing something that's broken because we know the score of view system doesn't work to what we expect and want it to. So just like to get your thoughts on that, guys. My answer is fairly short. I've got no doubt in within two weeks, I'll be doing a Tiger cast takedown on that exact thing they're trying to bring in. Cause it's going to, they're going to balls it up. I think the concept behind it is the correct one, whether or not they apply it correctly it remains to be seen. I'm a bit sceptical given it's the AFL and they seem to <laughs> stuff up more than more, more than they don't. Um, but seriously, this goal line technology stuff is long overdue. Get it right. Get it right once and for all. It, it shouldn't be an issue, really, in this day and age. It, it just should not be an issue. We see cricket do it fantastically well with, with Hotspot and Snicko. Why we can't get that technology on the goalposts is, is, is beyond me. So... If this is a step towards that, then I'm all for it. But I wait and see with bated breath, and I wonder if something will happen on Thursday night. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I agree. It's a step in the right direction, but it's another one of those things where it sounds good in theory, but practicality is going to be a whole different thing. Um, obviously, with Hotspot and everything, uh, with Snicko, 
you know, you've got to factor in crowd noise and everything else. So there's going to be a lot more ambient noise in an AFL ground than there is out on a out on a cricket pitch. So they need to sort of find that medium where they can focus in on the actual sounds the ball makes when it hits the post to make sure it actually works properly. And yeah, I I, I can see they're having some teething problems with it early, but. This, this shows that they're actually trying to take a step in the right direction and not just focus on that horrible, you know, score review system they have now with the grainy TV footage and camera work and, and shoddy angles. So, yeah, I'm, I'm glad they're trying to rectify it, but I still think there'll be teething issues with it. My, my question about this technology is why now? Why why have these teething issues in the regular season? Haven't we just had three weeks of practice matches plus AFLX before that? Exactly. Why now are they introducing it? Don't tell me that they just signed the contract because <laughs> I don't believe that for a second. They've had a long time to iron any clinks out and get rid of any issues that might arise and they're bringing it in for round one. Uh, it's a very odd decision, but I can't say I'm surprised. <laughs> no one should be surprised by anything they do at AFL House uh, in, with the way things have gone recently. Um, yeah, interesting to see how that one plays out. I think it's going to end in tears, but uh, I'm happy to be proven wrong, though. But uh, yeah, before I let you guys go, we'll get a tip, including margin. Grok, I'll start with you. Uh, for me, uh, Richmond by 27. I think it'll be a comfortable win. I think Colton will challenge us uh, in, in parts, but I do think we'll, we'll, we'll be on top most of the night. Jeremiah's? Yeah, pretty similar at my end, guys. I have Richmond by four goals. I'd love to see an upset, but uh, can't see it happening on Thursday night. Just hope for a competitive game, and uh, the longer that we can stick with you guys, the better. I think it's going to play out fairly similar to last year. I think you'll be thereabouts for the first two and a half, three quarters, but I think long run we might run over the top of the end. And yeah, similar to you guys, about four or five goals. It really just comes down to if we're accurate or not, and... Um, how our defence stands up under the, the pressure of the 666 rule, but should be a cracking game nonetheless. And just a reminder about the game, it's Thursday night, MCG 7.20pm, and it's live on Channel 7 and Foxtel. Uh, and if, you, if anyone hasn't already, make sure you sign up to our various competitions on the board. There's the tipping comp, the Grok's goal, the goal-kicking knockout comp, my closest to the pin comp for the free-kick differential, because we're going to get reamed again this year, no doubt. <coughs> Um, and Chester's running the fantasy football comp, so make sure you get around those. All right, well, Grokodok and Jeremiah, thank you so much again for coming on, guys, at such short notice. Really appreciate it. Uh, Round one's going to be an absolute belter, and look forward to to seeing you all there on Thursday night. Go Tigers. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Richmond Big Footy Tiger Cast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and YouTube so you can follow all the roasts and toasts, the reviews and previews, and all topics Richmond. Also keep an ear out for our special episodes of interviews with past players. Go Tigers!